All right, thanks, Pastor. Oh, much better, much better. All right, next week, Sunday, I'm interrupting Pastor Charles. <laughs> Jokes. All right, so, so maybe let me just quickly recap. So uh, we've titled the series, Our Redemption Story. Um, sorry, Our Redemption Story Revealed in an Actual Love Story. In the book of Ruth, we see an actual love story between two people. Um, our, our main character, as it were, Ruth, who is, who is a widowed woman, who's going to get married to her kinsman redeemer, in a phrase you're going to explain later on in the book, and this man's name is Boaz. Now again, we aren't sure who actually wrote the book of Ruth. Um, some speculate that it was Samuel. Um, there's many other speculations, but we don't know who wrote the book of Ruth. But what we do know is within this book, there is a clear description of the providence of God. Specifically, the providence of God where his covenant faithfulness is revealed as he shows, as he ensures the arrival of our Redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, before we start, I want to challenge us as, as we start this new series, please go home and read the book of Ruth. Now, I went and I checked how long will it take you to finish the whole book of Ruth in one sitting? 15 minutes. That is not even close to a Netflix series. So please take some time and go and actually read through the whole book of Ruth as we try to unpack it. Um, and you'll find as you, re as you read through the whole book in one sitting, as you unpack it, a lot of things will start to make sense. Now, my role tonight is to bring us a pilot. Uh, initially, I was going to say a trailer, but it's a bit more than a trailer. So I'm just going to give us a pilot, a bit of the background of this book, and just set the scene as we start this new series in the book of Ruth. Now the first question before we even dive into the book of Ruth is, where does the book of Ruth fall into the narrative of the whole Bible? But before I answer that question, turn with me to Ruth chapter 1, and we'll just read the first five verses for tonight. Ruth chapter 1. Verse 1 reads, In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife was Naomi, and the name of his two sons were, were Malon and Chilion. They were um, Ephratites from Bethlehem in Judah. They went into the country of Moab to remain there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These two Moabite, Moabite, the, these took Moabite wives. The name of one was, was Opah. I almost said Oprah. Opah, and the name of the other was Ruth. They lived there about ten years, and both Malon and Chilion died. So, they, so that the woman was left without her two sons, and her husband. Pray with me. Father, even as I stand here before you, Lord, I recognize, Lord, my own flaws. But God, I understand also how great you are. God, I thank you for your spirit that speaks through me, your spirit that helps all of us in this room to understand your word. So I pray, Father, that it will be the ministry of your spirit tonight that challenges us, and also that reveals your truth in this book. Lord, I pray that you'd help me again, not to be a distraction, 
But I pray, Father, that you would just bless the preaching of your word. But God, I also pray that you'd prepare our hearts if there is anything that, Lord, you look to challenge us with tonight. I pray, Father, although this is an introduction, there's so much truth in this, Lord, where you can reveal our own frailties, our own dependence on ourselves, and and a lack of dependence in you. So God, I do pray that you teach us tonight, Father, to depend in you because, God, you are our only refuge. We have no strength outside of you. So I pray, Father, that you bless the preaching of your word for, for both those who are in the room and those who are watching from at home. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So to kick us off, let us consider a bit of the backstory. In chapter 1 it says, In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. See, Ruth lived in, in the days of the judges of Israel. In fact, if you consider the book of where the book of Ruth is situated, it's sandwiched between the book of Judges and between the book of 1 Samuel. This is strategic because the Lord was about to transition the history of the nation Israel and introduce a righteous leader, the much-expected king who would restore the nation to covenant faithfulness. The king would be, as you know, King David, son of Jesse, the carrier of the seed of the Lamb of God, Jesus, the King of Kings. Now, you might be aware, if you've been attending the evening services for quite a bit, we have actually just wrapped up the book of Judges a few months ago. And the book, that book ends with this phrase, In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And again, the question is why? How did they get there? You see, what happened was the nation Israel did not complete the conquest of the, the land of Canaan as God had commanded them. God commanded the nation to make no covenant with the inhabitants of that land and go in there and break down all the idols. But we notice that the nation Israel did not do that. Instead, they allowed the Canaanites to live among them, and they put the Canaanites to forced labor and did not drive them out. Now, when I was reading this, I was reminded about what we learned in history back in high school, and specifically about the Roman Empire. Rome, sorry, Greece conquered, no, Rome conquered Greece, but there's a specific phrase that a poet Horace wrote. This is what the poet said. Captive Greece held captive her rude conqueror and brought the arts to the rustic Latin lands. You see, although the Romans were the ruling empire, the Greeks were the guys who were teaching their children, who were running the schools, who were, who were working in the stores. So instead of the Roman Empire infiltrating the culture of the Greeks, the Greeks upheld their culture and were ac- actually penetrating the Roman culture, although the Romans were the ones in charge. You see, like the Romans adopted Greek culture, literature, and their Greek gods, the nation Israel adopted the Canaanite culture and their gods. Consider Judges 2 verse 10. It says, And all that generation also were gathered to their father. And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. 
And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. And they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. They went after other gods from among the gods of the peoples who were around them and bowed down to them. And they provoked the Lord to anger. This is the setting that Ruth finds herself in. This sums up the moral and the ethical chaos that surrounds Ruth in her day. And we read in verse 1, In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. The land of milk and honey had turned into the land of barrenness, as the Lord had warned them in Leviticus chapter 26. In Leviticus chapter 26, verse 19 to 20, this is what it says. It says, And if in spite of this you will not listen to me, nation Israel, then I will discipline you again sevenfold for your sins, and I will break the pride of your power, and I will make your heavens like iron and your earth like bronze. And your strength shall be spent in vain, for your land shall not yield its increase, and the trees of the land shall not yield their fruit. God had brought about judgment to the land of Israel because of their disregard for God and their active disobedience to his commands. Now I must say, from, from conversations I've had with people, I think we often all, almost forget that sin is the ultimate cause for natural disasters. Just, it is, just as it is the cause of death, sin is also the cause of diseases. Sin is also the cause of suffering. Not only that, I also think we often forget that God can and does bring great good out of these terrible tragedies. As much as sin brings about death, sin brings about suffering, sin brings about heartache and turmoil, it is also true that God is going to work out of this evil great good for those who believe in him. Now that is the summary of the story of Ruth. God in his providence brings great good to Ruth and Naomi. He brings great good to the nation Israel. And even by extension, he will bring great good to the universal church who would be blessed. But we would be blessed only after the great tragedy that this this family would face. So my first point tonight is, A family rocked by great crisis. In fact, it's my only point. A family rocked by great crisis. We read in verse 1 to verse 5 about this family, but verse verse 1 and 2 wants us to consider a costly move. A costly move. It says, A man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the land country of Moab. He and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife was Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Chilion. They were were Ephratites from Bethlehem in Judah, and they went into the country of Moab and remained there. In verses 1 and 2, we are introduced to the family of this book. Elimelech, being the father of the house, takes his family out of the land that God had promised to them, and he takes them to be sojourners. Remember, the word sojourner means passers-by in the land of Moab. 
Now, there's two things I want us to notice there. In, in our eyes, and, and as we look at this as a father looking to provide for his children, it is commendable that Elimelech took his family to Moab, which had plenty to provide for their needs. So he takes his family there to find food. But I also want you to consider what Elimelech's name actually meant. Elimelech's name meant, my God, a king. But in this instance, he does not trust in his God and king. What was meant to be a short trip as a sojourner in Moab actually turned into 10 long years for his family. The fact that Elimelech would take his family in Moab shows us the severity of the famine. But notice where he took his family. He took his family to Moab. In Moab, there were women who deliberately seduced Israelite men, then enticed them to participate in sacrifices to idolatrous worship. In Moab, there were worshippers of idols which involved human sacrifices. In Moab, there was also filled, it was also filled with erotic imagery and vulgar conduct. Moabite paganism typified everything abominable and idolatry. The Moabite culture practically epitomized everything faithful Israel was supposed to shun. Elimelech, seeing his family in great need, he is willing to take his family to this God-forbidden place. He's willing to compromise his faith because for him the need was great. Now I must confess, going through a story like this, it's easy for us to speculate. In fact, when you go through biblical narratives, it's easy to speculate and make assertions. But I want you to know that in the book of Ruth, we have enough to ask the question to Elimelech, why would you seek help from people who are outside of God's covenant? We have enough from the book of Ruth to ask the question, why does he not seek help from the Lord or even from his covenant brothers? Why did he not wait for the Lord in hope that the days of plenty would return? will later be introduced to Boaz. Boaz is said to be a man who had plenty. We'll see in this story that God indeed did bless the righteous in the land with enough, and he blessed others with abundance and charged them to help those who had little or who had none. God, in fact, would again bless the land and produce its yield. If you consider verse 6, of Ruth chapter 1, it says, Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord has visited his people and given them food. Friends, God was at work, and it just seems as if Elimelech was not willing to wait. There are two important truths I want us to consider here. Our plight, like we see with Elimelech, is not justified if we do not wait for God in hope and instead compromise our faith in an attempt to save ourselves from a current crisis. 
often this will lead us to temporary solutions, temporary seasons of rest, but prolonged unrest and no peace. Hey, maybe there's a job that will really help your family, but for you to get this job, you have to get it in, in an un, underhanded way. Maybe the best way for you to get good grades this year is to cheat. Hey, it's online. They won't see you. Maybe someone has offered you a solution to your current problem, but you know that that solution is directly contrary to what God's will is. Friends, tonight what I'm saying is, even in these instances, let us not respond like Elimelech, but instead let us know for certain that we can trust in God, for God is our King. He knows what we need and when we need it, and he will provide for us. We must be content with the portions that God has provided us. For the truth is, there is a rainbow at the end of the storm. The second truth is that God would be cruel if God allowed us to go through, through tragedy with no purpose. God shines through as the master teacher. He shines through as the almighty savior, as the compassionate comforter, as the skilled potter, as the patient guide in the classroom of adversity. For us, the challenge is to wait on God. Tim Chellis wrote in an article that I have up top there, he says, I have noticed that the deaf often have an unusual quietness, sorry, an unusual quickness of eyesight. The blind are often gifted with an increased capacity for hearing. And sometimes when the eye is darkened, the ear is closed. The sense of touch becomes so exquisite that we are able to converse with the sufferer through that sense alone. This law explains why God puts so many of his people under a sharp regimen of hardship and burden-bearing in order that they may be sinewed into strength. Why a Joseph must be shut into a prison in order that he may be trained for a palace and for a premiership of the kingdom. Outside of the Damascus Gate, I saw the spot where Stephen was stoned into a cruel death. But that martyr blood was not only the seed of the church, but also the first germ of conviction in the heart of Saul of Tarsus. This law explains the reason why God often sweeps away a Christian's possessions in order that he may become rich in faith. And why he dashes many persons off the track of prosperity where they may be running at 80 kilometers the hour in order that their pride might be crushed and that they may seek the safer track of humility and holy living. God's people are never so excited as when they are brought low, never so enriched as when they are emptied, never so advanced as when they are set back by adversity, never so near to the crown as when under the cross. One of the sweetest enjoyments of heaven 
will be to review our experiences under the law of compensation and to see often affliction worked out for us the exceeding weight of glory. So we see that Naomi attended the classroom of adversity. We see this in verses 3 to 5. The first class was her husband and father of her children died. In verse 3 we see, And Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. After 10 years in Moab, Elimelech dies. We don't know why he died. We don't know if it was the hand of God's judgment over him. But what we do know is that things did not get better in Moab. In fact, Naomi is now widowed and isolated with her sons in a foreign land. They were removed from their kinsmen in the pursuit of food, but instead Naomi became a widow. She became a grieving mother. She became a foreigner with no means of support herself. Now with no one and in the pits of despair, Naomi gives her older sons to marriage. We see the the next thing there, Naomi gives her sons to foreign wives in verse 4. These took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Opa, which means stubborn, and the name of the other was Ruth, which means friendship. This, like the actual move to, uh, to, to Moab, was not in obedience to God. Again, they could have waited until they returned to Israel to find wives for their sons. But instead, they went to marry women in Moab. God clearly forbade the intermarrying of the Israelites with foreign nations. Consider Deuteronomy 7 verse 1 to 3. It says, when the Lord your God brings you into the land where you are entering to possess it and clears away many nations before you, the Hittites and the Girgashites and the Amorites and the Canaanites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites, seven nations greater and stronger than you. And when the Lord our God delivers them before you and you defeat them, then you shall utterly destroy them. Listen to this. You shall make no covenant with them and show no favor to them. Furthermore, you shall not intermarry with them. You shall not give your daughters to their sons, nor shall you take their daughters for your sons. What we realize as this story develops in this introduction is that the pits of compromise only make way for more compromise. The pits of despair easily easily bring about the desire to seek quick solutions. Sorry. So easily we desire swift and immediate solutions which are more often harmful than they are beneficial. Unfortunately for Ruth, we'll see that the arrows of death were not completely done with her. The last thing we see in verse 5, she is left hopeless. Both Malon and Chilion died so that the woman was left without her two sons and a husband. This was the bottom of the barrel. We, we cannot but imagine what Naomi was going through. 
Her head must have felt as if it was submerged under the ocean of adversity with her hands sticking out, crying out for help. Three widows with no children and no responsible relatives in a time of, fa- of famine could not hope for, for, for survival for any longer. To be a childless widow was to be among the lowest and the most disadvantaged classes in the ancient world. Naomi had no family in Moab. She had no one there to help her. It was a desperate solution. This, we can conclude, was a tough, tough situation. A family in crisis And the question is, how could she come through this? Did she survive with her two daughters-in-law? You'd have to come back next week. That's how far, as far as I go. But I must give us implications before I go. So my last point, implications. Church, in the face of adversity, God is calling you to hope in him. It is God alone who has the ability to comfort those who are cast down. He is near to the brokenhearted. He is our only strength when we are weak. Church, I also want you to know that temptation will come. You will be tempted to look for quick solutions out of the classroom of adversity. But we'll see in this story that man, God is merciful. Even through this family's disobedience, even through the catastrophic loss, God was loving enough to hear and to respond to their lament. Church, God in his grace brings home this prodigal daughter who's with empty hands so that he can astonish her with unexpected fullness. Church, we can be confident that the Lord is at work. Things might be bleak for you and your family at the moment. Your heart might be broken into many pieces as you grieve the death of a loved one. Hey, maybe things just aren't working out for you. But I want you to know that this book is for you. The bleak beginnings recorded at the outset of the book of Ruth are going to give us great hope at a future as God made good on his covenant promises. This is the same God we trust in today. Psalm 37 verse 39 says, The salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. He is their stronghold in the time of trouble. The Lord helps them and delivers them. He delivers them from the wicked and saves them. Why? Because they take refuge in him. Don't take matters into your own hands. Take them into his. Because his hands are able. Church, what you believe about God in the face of adversity is crucial. His promises and his faithfulness are true in the days of prosperity as they are true in the pits of adversity. But be careful. Be careful that in the pursuit to save your life, you don't lose your soul in the pursuit of salvation outside of God. 
I'll close us with a, a verse from the song that we just sang. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer, strong defender of my weary heart, my sword to fight the cruel deceiver and my, and my shield against his hateful darts, my song when enemies surround me, my hope when tides of sorrow rise, my joy when trials are abounding, your faithfulness, my refuge in the night. Let us pray. And Father, even though this was only an introduction, God, there is so much for you, there's so much here for us to reflect on. God, when I think about Naomi and her family, which was faced with crisis, Lord, sometimes, sometimes I feel that way with our family here at Central. God, as we hear prayer requests of people who are passing away, as we hear prayer requests of families who are facing tragedy, as we hear prayer requests of members who are just suffering in poverty, as we hear prayer requests of marriages that are struggling. God, I sometimes feel like we are a family in crisis. But God, as we face this crisis, it's so easy for us to depend in man-made wisdom. It's so easy for us to try to pick up the pieces ourselves and, and, and just move forward. But God, I pray that as we go through this book, that Lord, you would teach us that as we attend the classroom of adversity, you are teaching us that in fact we are weak. The only strength we have, oh God, is the strength that comes from you. God, the salvation of the righteous is from you. You are this, our stronghold in our time of trouble. God, it is only you who helps us, and God, it is only you who can deliver us. God, you are the only one who can deliver us from the wicked, and you are the only one, only one who can save us, because we take our refuge in you. God, you are our rock and our strength. It is from you that our help comes. So Lord, I pray if there is someone here tonight who is one of those who are broken. Lord, I pray that you would give them assurance tonight that, God, you are near. I pray, Lord, that you would help them as they, as they attend the classroom of adversity to know that, God, you remain sovereign, that, God, you are near, that, God, you are at work, and, God, you will bring about your good, even in this season that they're going through. So, God, thank you for speaking to us tonight. I pray that your spirit would bring your word to fruit. In Christ's name, amen.